Well, if you'll open your Bible to 1 Kings, that'll be where we'll be in a moment or two, in 1 Kings, and if you'll find your place in chapter number 17. And so when we get there, you'll already be there. 1 Kings chapter number 17. I want to talk this morning about something that God just put on my heart in my own daily Bible reading. If you are following the two-year Bible reading plan and your own schedule, then today you're going to finish the book of 2 Kings. Now, I'm a little beyond that, thankfully, because out there somewhere I sometimes can get behind, but uh, I'm over in Chronicles now. But as I finished reading 2 Kings, a thought came to my mind that was stuck back in the back there somewhere about something that Winston Churchill said in 1948 to the British House of Commons. And here's what he said. He said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And they're going to put that on the screen. You might want to jot that down. You know, to me, that's one of the unexplainable things for nations and for individuals, and probably for most all of us from time to time, we, we fail to learn from history. And, and the truth of the matter is, if we watch, <laughs> we oftentimes, where we fail to learn from history, we repeat it again. Now, he said that in 1948. That's 75 years ago. It is now 75 years later. But that statement is as true now as it was when he spoke that. And so as I read through the book of 2 Kings, and let me just simply say this, in the Hebrew Bible, the books 1 and 2 Kings, they were one book. When the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint was made, they separated that one book into 1 Kings and 2 Kings. When the Latin Vulgate was translated, they kept that same set up. And then when our English Bibles were translated, the very same thing. So really you have 1 Kings, 2 Kings, but you, you put them all together and it tells a story. And in a nutshell, let me just tell you what that story is. If someone ever says to you, what is 1 Kings and 2 Kings all about? Well, here's what it's all about in a nutshell. It's a story that tells how God blessed Israel more than any other nations. And as you read through that, you just see the blessings of God. But it is always also a story of how the nation Israel declined finally into absolute destruction. That's really what all of that is about. You see, when the Hebrew people came into the promised land, they experienced unbelievable blessings from God. But they made a mistake. They made a mistake. And here is what the mistake was. And we make the very same mistake today. What they did was they ignored God's words. Now you think about that a moment. And as you read through, especially in the Old Testament, God, God, through Moses and through the prophets, has said, now this is what you're to do. And the people of God just literally ignored that. And in the midst of all that, in Israel's darkest hour spiritually, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, stepped the prophet Elijah 
onto earth stage. And so if you have your Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see it in verse number one. Until you get to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse one, there's never been any word, mention, or hint about Elijah. And then you come to chapter 17, and it says Elijah, the Tishbite. That's about all we know about Elijah. Tishbe was in an area east of the Jordan. Uh, it was a mountainous area, but it was also an area that had plains where the uh, cattle and animals could graze and eat. So Elijah, that's where he, that's who he was. The inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, now Ahab was the king of Israel. Now look what Elijah said to King Ahab. He said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be not any dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, these years turned out to be three and a half years, and we learned that in Scripture. But now, you know, we read that and don't think much about it, but now think who he said that to. He said that to King Ahab. And the Canaanite people, they worshiped Baal, B-A-A-L. That was their God. Baal, they believed, was the God of rain and fertility. So now what he's saying is to King Ahab, my God is more powerful than your God. And that would have been a hard pill to swallow. And then we read on in this chapter, it says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, now here's what God said to Elijah. He said, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now look carefully in verse number five. Because the exciting thing to me, and as I was just reading through the book of 2 Kings, having finished the book of 1 Kings, I thought, you know what? What we need in our day and time, out of nowhere or wherever God chooses, we need some Elijahs. And you say, well, now what is it about Elijah that makes us need that? Well, in verse 5, we see, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and the meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, here's, here's something from Elijah that you and I need to learn and do. That is, he heeded God's word. And in your bulletin, if you're taking notes, just the word heed. I chose that word heed. I know it's not a word we use often in our everyday life, but it fits. It says what I'm trying to say this morning. The word heed is a very interesting word. The word heed means to regard. It conveys the idea you regard. It, it conveys the idea you pay attention. It conveys the idea you follow. And that's exactly what Elijah did. In verse 5, God had told him what to do. Verse 5 says, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he heeded what God 
told him to do. Now, if the same chapter, if you look, if you look down in verses eight and following, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah again saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sodom and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, what I want us to see is verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. What did he do? He heeded. He regarded what God said. He paid attention to what God said. And he followed exactly what God said. Now, go in chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. We see this same truth. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourselves to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to King Ahab, and there was a severe famine in the land. The point that I'm making is, when God said something, he heeded. And that is something all of us can do. See, the exciting thing to me about what God's put in my heart about the sermon is the truth of the matter is every one of us can be an Elijah. We can heed what God says. But the children of God, the Hebrew people, they ignored what God said. And it did not work out well at all. They found themselves in exile, in bondage, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. It, you know, God had prospered them. God had blessed them. God had given them everything. They, they ignored what God said. Go all the way back to the very first man, Adam, in the garden. Adam and Eve had everything a person could ever want. Everything, even the very presence of God. And what did they do? <laughs> they didn't eat. They ignored what God said. Now, as I think about that, you know, this is the very same mistake we make today in America. We, we just, we have fallen into some kind of trap, call it whatever, where it, <laughs> we, we just ignore what God has said. Like, for example, in America, we, we have, we're in a big, uh, we're in a big uh, political issue now about abortion. You know, we had the, the Supreme Court years ago made one ruling. Then the Supreme Court made another ruling. Now they say all the state, so, you know, and now all that's getting entangled into the election. Folks, listen, what, we need to wake up. What, what we're doing in America, we're just saying, it doesn't matter what God said. We're not, we, we're just going to ignore what God has to say, whether it be about abortion or whether it be about same-sex marriage. You know, God's very clear about same-sex marriage. What do we do? Well, we start making laws. What we don't realize what we're doing is we are ignoring what God has said. There's homosexuality. What do we do? Well, we, we, we come up with some more laws. What we're not doing is we're not doing what God says. We ignore what God says. That's true in our nation, and many times it's true in our own lives. We listened to Dr. Kendall last Sunday. I, without any question, Dr. Kendall had God's anointing on him when he preached last Sunday morning in an unbelievable way. He was dealing, you know, if you've, if you've ever dealt with vertigo, and I've dealt with vertigo, I deal with vertigo. But like you, 
you have times where you're not doing as good as you are other times. And then you have other times it's just not much of an issue at all. Well, he's that way. Well, all last weekend, he's, he's having a bad time with vertigo. But it was amazing. Once he sat in his chair and began to speak, it was like, it's like he de-aged 20 years. Now, vertigo's not all about age, but I thought, my gracious, I've heard, I've heard Dr. Kendall preach endless numbers of times. He just had such an anointing on him, such a power on him. And what he was preaching, he was preaching about total forgiveness, and we we're all sitting there about total forgiveness. And then he gave that time of commitment. I, I was down front. I, I did a peripheral vision. It appeared that the majority of all of us stood to our feet saying, there are people that we've not totally forgiven and we want God to help us do that. But so in that moment, we were not ignoring what God said. But if we're not careful, things can happen. And we just kind of ignore what God says or we make excuses why we can't forgive or whatever like that. And it's that way in every area of life. It, you know, it's like tithing. I, I, I show people what the Bible says about tithing. When I show people what the Bible says about tithing, that's what God says about tithing. I didn't write the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Bible. Well, people look at that. You know, we're blessed in our church to have so many tithers but they're just endless. They're hundreds that just say, on that issue, I'm going to ignore what God says. On forgiving people, on that issue, I'm going to ignore what God says. And, and the list just goes, I just encourage you today to understand. <laughs> Look, number one, let's not ignore what God says. My word on that would be, much of what God says, we have to ask God to help us do that. If you're struggling with something that you know God's very clearly said something and you want to heed what God has said, make the commitment to do it, but ask God to help you do it because by yourself, you're probably not going to be able to do it or you already would have done it. Your heart wants to do it, but it can't get done. Elijah heeded what God said. Now, another way we can be like Elijah, we can pray like Elisha. We can pray like Elijah. And I want you to look with me in 1 Kings chapter 17 again. Now, as I thought about that, I would think this. Most every one of us prays to some extent. Everybody prays to some extent. Maybe not out loud, maybe out loud, but nonetheless, we pray. But I dare say, few of us, if any, but maybe some, pray like Elijah prayed. The way he prayed was so very different. And we see it. Look in chapter 17. And look down in verse number 17. And I didn't have time, don't have time to read the rest of the story about the widow woman giving him the food, but she did. And you come to verse 17, just like God, God supplied that need, but that's another sermon. In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17, it happened after these things, after what I've just mentioned, that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So he said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring to my sin remembrance and to kill my son? He said to her, give me your son. 
So he took him out of her arms, carried him to an upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Now, verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, here's his prayer. O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge, my kinder's son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times, watch carefully, and cried out to the Lord. Now that little phrase, cried out to the Lord, is a level of praying that you read about from time to time in the Bible. But it's a very deep level of praying. There have been those times. It's one thing to, to, to pray to God. It's quite, it's quite a deeper thing when we just cry out to God. And so he's crying out to God and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's son come back life to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he was revived. Well, now that's, that's what I call Elijah kind of praying. Now, look with me in chapter 18. Chapter 18, of course, is where we read about the Mount Carmel victory you know, where he challenged the prophets of Baal. But we don't have time to read all that, but look with me in verse 36. In verse 36, it says, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifices that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now he's praying. Let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. He's praying for a miracle from heaven. That's what he's praying for. Now, let's look at one other prayer. In, in this same chapter 18, look down in verse number, look down at verse number 42. In verse 42, the drought has now ended. And then in verse 42, it says, Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He's praying. He's bowed before the Lord, and he's praying. And of course, a miracle indeed did take place. Now, the point I make is this. Elijah kind of praying is when we pray for things that only God can do. Now, many times we pray, ask God to show us what we can do. That's good. But there are times we pray about things that, that only heaven can do. I mean, I mean the, the best of us can't do them. And that's what we see here. Now, this past Wednesday night, and let me say, everybody's schedule is not the same. I understand. And this is not a thing to dump guilt on anybody. I'm just saying this, in this room on Wednesday nights are some of the sweetest times we have had in this room. In this room last Wednesday night, if I remember correctly, there were seven people saved. Is that number right? Seven people saved here Wednesday night. It's, so I would encourage you, if you can, if you'll come one Wednesday night, you'll see what I'm talking about. John does an excellent job of that. Well, I'm, I'm listening last Wednesday night, his message. And he gets off on prayer, and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to pay extra attention to what he's going to say here, because Sunday I'm going to be preaching in prayer is one of my points. We need to pray like Elijah. Well, he shared something that I'd never thought about. It convicted me. 
He shared it because it had convicted him. He made this statement. He said, let me ask, how many of you ever pray for Hamas, for the people in Hamas? Now, Hamas, they're barbaric. They're evil. They're just, there's not even a word or words to say how evil they are. They're evil personified. But his question was, and his follow-up was, he said, you know, he confessed himself. Don't you love it when you go to church and the preacher goes to confessing? Well, he did. And I have to stand here and say, I'm confessing this morning. And I dare say, I mean, let me ask you, have any of us, now, I, I was convicted last Wednesday night, so I'm no, I just started doing something. I, I'd never even thought about praying for Hamas. I've prayed about many things going on there. But he reminded us they have a soul. They're evil. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. The Palestinians that are not believers. Now, understand something. There are Christian Palestinians. Every Palestinian is not, a, is not in, the, in Hamas. But the majority of Palestinians in that part, in that region of the world, the majority are overwhelming. They're not believing. But I'll tell you what, they have souls. They need to be saved. They need Jesus. The Jews that are not born again Jews, and I have numbers of Jewish friends, wonderful people, dear people, but they need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. But I thought when he was talking about last Wednesday night, I thought, what? Hey, think what could happen if we begin to pray that these people, maybe just one or two or three, or so, would get saved. You know, Dr. Dr. Kendall went to Ramallah uh, to Yasser Arafat. He shared that with us before. It's in one of his books. I've heard the whole story, how that worked out he could go. Dr. Kendall says this, I would not be surprised when I get to heaven if Yaris Afrat won't be there. He said, I actually think he made a commitment. He said, I, I, I can't bet my life on it. But I was able to share the entire gospel with him. And I, he asked questions. And he said, I saw the spirit of God at work. Of course, you know, probably, probably if truth's known, Yerifat was poisoned. But the people turned on him. They said he was too soft. And I think what happened to Yasser Arafat, he may have become a believer. And that might have been a little bit more than they could, they could stomach. But here's the point. We ought to pray for anybody, anywhere and everywhere that needs Jesus that doesn't have him. Could I have an amen to that? They need to be saved. The solution to that whole mess over there is the same today as it has always been and it always will be. They need Jesus. And we could do something about that if we would pray. I do not know personally any person in Hamas, but God does. And I've just begun praying. After last Wednesday night, I don't know exactly best how to pray, but I'm praying somehow, some way, there'll be maybe one of these that might be a leader, one that might have influence, and somebody some way could share something about Jesus and some of that group be saved. But let me ask you this. 
we're talking about praying like Elijah. How many prayers are you praying that only heaven could answer? Only a miracle could bring it about. Only a miracle. Well, I can think of numbers of prayers. You know, um, I mean, I hate to always use secular things as illustrations, but folks, how many prayers Dottie and I have prayed that when we were building all these buildings that we lived to see these things all paid for? And I'll tell you what, the only explanation is a miracle from heaven. There were a lot of folks praying that. And there are a lot of folks supporting that. And God blessed that. These people being saved, it's, it's a miracle from heaven. The emails that I get where people say, I had emails from last, last Sunday's sermon uh, sharing with me about something they had prayed. And they said, I won't go into the details with you, but, but, but here's how God's answered that miracle prayer. So I want to encourage you, keep on praying for your health and keep, keep on praying for whatever, your family and all that. Yes, we must not let up, but we need to be praying for miracles, praying for things that only God can do. That's Elijah kind of praying. And then I'll tell you another way we can be an Elijah. Another way we can be an Elijah is, is we, we can live close enough to God to hear him speak. Now, it's interesting in First Kings chapter, in First Kings chapter eighteen, we read about Elijah's faith up on Mount Carmel, and then in First Kings chapter nineteen, we read about Elijah's fear. You say, "What do you mean?" Well, old Ahab's wife, Jezebel. I hope you didn't marry one of her sisters. She was a mean woman, to say the least. She was a bell worshiper big time. She even influenced her husband, Ahab, to build a temple for Baal. I thought about that. I thought, you know, a wife, in that case, influenced her husband, had more influence on her husband than the prophet Elijah did. The power of a wife, unbelievable. But we read about that all in chapter 19. And then in the Bible, we read how Elijah is human just like we are. Over in James chapter 5 in verse 17, it says Elijah was a man of like nature as are we. So, I mean, this is not some, you know, mystic out here. Elijah, uh, he, he, you get over here in chapter 19, he even prays that he'll die. He's so afraid of Jezebel. He asked God to take his life. He said, I'd rather be dead than like this. Well, but in his heart, there was God. In his heart. You know, sometimes our, our human nature, our flesh nature, makes us forget our spiritual nature. There's that tug, war, battle between the flesh and the spirit. Well, Elijah was going through that. But then, uh, it's interesting in that situation, look with me in 1 Kings chapter 19. Look down in verse number 9. We find Elijah. Let's go back to verse 8. Well, no, let's go back. We got, let's go back up here. Let's go back. Preacher, you need to figure out where you want to go back to. Well, let's go back to verse 3. Uh, words come to him, Jezebel's going to kill him before the day's over. So when he saw that news, he arose and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Then himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed, 
that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him, woke him up, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Now look at this. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, Horeb, uh, the mountain of God, that's Mount Sinai. Every time I read that, I wonder, what did he eat? I sure want to get me a jar of that. I mean, that was a power meal this guy had. He ate it and goes 40 days and 40 nights all the way to Mount Sinai. Now, when he got there, look what he did. Now, watch this. There, he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. He's horrified. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here in a cave, Elijah? He said to him, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets of the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Now look what God did. Look what God said. God said to him, go out, get out of the cave, and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now look in verse 13a. So it was, and Elijah heard it. How was that? He lived close enough to God, even when he was in a cave, now out on a mountain that he could hear God in a still, small voice. You know, sometimes you may feel that you're living in a cave, as it were, things that way, or you may be living on the mountain, as it were. But if you're living close to God, you can hear him speak. And most of the time, it will be a still, small voice, a thought when you're quiet and alone, And oh, what a difference that makes. Now, you say, well, how do you live that close to God? Well, number one, no unconfessed sin. No unconfessed sin. Number two, consistent in your spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer. Every day. Every day. Consistency. And then you heed what God says. You regard it. You pay attention to it. You follow it. You do it. And when you're doing that, the best you can, you won't be perfect. God knows that. God knows you. But here's the deal. You, you'll, you'll just, God will speak. Most of the time, he speaks through his word. But there'll be those times that his spirit will just speak to your spirit. For me, many times, it's in the very early hours of the morning. The very early hours of the morning. So I was even reading this scripture back when I was at that point in my Bible reading. I just felt God say to me, we need some more Elijah's today. He just came out of nowhere. We don't know much about him, but look what he did. Elijah. Well, fast forward. 
I was yesterday, two or three hours yesterday, I thought, and I had thought about it before. I thought, how am I going to wrap this sermon up? Because Elijah, that's so long ago. And then I thought of a modern day Elijah, Dwight L. Moody, a 19th century American evangelist. He had a fifth grade education, raised in extreme poverty, lived in Massachusetts. Dad died when he was at a young age. His mother had all kinds of financial issues. It was just awful. But God called Dwight L. Moody to be a preacher. And he started teaching boys out in the poor areas of where he lived, the Bible. And these classes grew and grew and finally became even a church. But yet, one night, listen to this, Dwight L. Moody was coming out of an all-night prayer meeting, and he was walking along beside a lay preacher. By day, that preacher was a butcher in a meat shop. But on the weekends and nights, he was bivocational. This lay preacher just made a statement as they were coming out of this all-night prayer meeting. And the statement was, think what God could do. Think what God could do with one man fully committed to God. Fully committed. Well, that, that little statement stayed in his mind and got into his heart. And sometime after that, that statement came back again. And Dwight L. Moody said, God, I will be that man. And he was. And when he made that statement, made that commitment, it was like electricity came into his ministry, not only in America, but in London and beyond. It just used in a mighty, mighty way. Now, I was thinking about that yesterday. And I thought, well, now, you know, I thought about my life. Like, here's, here's the deal. It's true for you. Like, I'm alive today, but I have no idea how long yet I have to live. Nor do you. But here's what I thought yesterday. That's God's business. But here's the deal. I'm alive today, and I have some life out here yet to live as long as God allows. I thought yesterday, in what I have left, what would God do if I would be fully fully committed to him. And I want you to take that. Think, think what God would do, could do, and would do in your life if you said, starting today, whatever life I have yet to live, I'm going to live that life. Forget all the whatever the past. Let's just start right now. Fast forward out there, however long. And we said, God, I'll be that man. I'll be that woman. I'll be that son. I'll be that daughter. I want you to bow with me this morning. Lord, you put this sermon on my heart, not to get up a sermon, but as an outpouring of just Bible reading and, and, and thinking and praying. We need some Elijahs today. 
And God, we all can be one. We all can, God. This morning, I just believe in this room, there's more people than me saying, hey, I am alive today and have no idea how long yet I have to live. But that's, that's God's business. But however long that may be, I want to live the rest of my life fully committed to God, heeding what he says, praying like Elijah, and living close to God. And this morning, God, that's my heart's, that's my heart's desire. But this morning, God, I'm moving from my desire to commitment. God, I, this morning, help me. I'm making the commitment that I want to live that way the remainder of my life. I'll let you finish that prayer. Or, you know, you can just ignore it altogether. You're going to miss what God could do for you. Don't do that. Now, others this morning here, there may be some that say, you know, what I need, (laughs) I need Jesus. I've never been saved. I need to be saved. If that's you this morning, or if you're not sure you are saved, then I'm going to encourage you right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I want to be sure that I know I'm a Christian. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make me a Christian right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I've settled my salvation this morning. In your name, I pray.